Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so thrilled to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author, and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy. But we're in this together, and thankfully, we have a lot of wonderful people we can call on to get the help and insight we need. Is food sometimes a fight in your house? As parents, we all want our kids to be healthy, which isn't always easy when children may not eat the food that we wish they would when food is a fight. If we have a picky eater or a kid who only eats blonde or beige food, dino nuggets and mashed potatoes, but no veggies or fruit, or as some of my friends have struggled with, kids who only eat carbs, athletic kids who aren't eating enough given their activity level, or a kid who struggles with healthy eating in a different way. Well, guess what? We've got a top expert, Jill Castle, who's focused on children's healthy diets and pediatric nutrition today, who's going to help us with balancing out food extremes and ensuring that our children have a healthy relationship with food. Now, Jill Castle is a registered dietitian and nutritionist and a specialist in pediatric nutrition. She currently works as a private practitioner, online educator, consultant, and speaker. She's the author of Eat Like a Champion, Performance Nutrition for Your Young Athlete, and co-author of Fearless Feeding, How to Raise Healthy Eaters from High Chair to High School. Love that title. She's also the creator of The Nourished Child, a childhood nutrition blog and podcast, and The Kids Healthy Weight Project. And online course for parents. Jill is a national and international speaker focused on topics including childhood nutrition, feeding, picky eating, youth sports nutrition, and childhood obesity. Jill is regularly quoted in popular print and on online publications as a leading childhood nutrition expert and is a regular contributor to U.S. News and World Report, which I write for as well, USA Swimming and Bundu.com. You can find out all about Jill Castle at JillCastle.com. We are so excited to have you. So thank you, Jill Castle, for joining us on How to Talk to Kids About Anything. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. We are so thrilled to have you. I know this is a struggle in a lot of people's homes, but before we get into the meat of the matter, for those who, who haven't heard you speak or the pleasure to meet you, maybe they haven't read your books, would you just take a moment to tell us what gets you up in the morning and why do you have such an interest in kids and healthy eating? That's great. I get up very early every morning, excited to work. I love what I do. I've been working with children and their families for over 25 years. And I am inspired. I have four of my own children, Mm. actually, by the by. And I just love helping kids fall in love with food, appreciate it, and have an adventure with it on some level. And I'm also very motivated to help parents parent their children with food and through food and help them learn and grow to appreciate it so that they grow up having a healthy relationship with food. 
So, so important. So yeah, important. Like, like you, my children have taught me a lot. I have two young adults and two in high school. And so I've gone through all the stages personally. I obviously know about them professionally. And even still, uh, I make my own mistakes, mm-hmm. have made my own mistakes. And I also know professionally that no two families are alike, no two children within a family are alike. And so there is quite a bit of variability when we talk about childhood nutrition. And so I work really hard to sort of um, give families great information that stems from the research, but is also very practical to use uh, so that they can uh, apply however they can in their families. And I've always uh, abided by the the belief that if you have a whole lot of tools in your toolbox, uh, you'll be able to to survive and get through on a on a very positive note through the whole process of childhood. So one trick doesn't fix everything or every family or every child. It it oftentimes takes a lot of different tools in your toolbox to 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 work through. Well, I so appreciate your comment about mistakes because obviously we all make mistakes and those people who are listening who are thinking, yes, my child is a very picky eater or yes, I struggle with this issue all the time. You know, it's it's important for everyone to know that even if you feel like you haven't been getting it right, up till this point, it's not a point of no return. So everybody makes mistakes and here we have this amazing expert. So let's jump in and get some of those fabulous tools that Jill's just talking about so that we our tool book, our tool belts is very full and sort of, you know, pulling our pants down a little bit. So, you know, we're really ready. So, so let's start from the beginning. Nutritionists often talk about eating the rainbow, ensuring a healthy diet, a balanced diet, but what is healthy eating for our kids? And what are some ways that we can help kids eat in a healthy way? Great question. So healthy eating for kids really, in my mind, is making sure they get the variety of nutrients that they need to grow and develop well, while at the same time, they're learning about all kinds of different foods and learning about their appetite and how to regulate it and how to navigate through the world of very complex food that we live in today. So healthy eating is not a set of rules. It is not um, a certain diet or a certain belief system necessarily when it comes to children. I think as adults, we get to that place. But I like to remind uh families that their children are learning about nutrition and and they've got 18 years to learn about food and themselves and their the way that they manage food in their lives and the goal is really to raise children who like a wide variety of different foods and can self-regulate and appreciate all the different things that are out there to experience in terms of food. Mhm. So what are some ways that we can help our kids eat in a healthy way. And, and I'm sure what's on people's minds, how, how do you get them to try that multitude of foods that you're talking about? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it starts from the top down. So our children will eat the way we eat as parents. And so oftentimes I'm working with families and their parents to make sure that their food system that they have within their home for themselves reflects what they want their children to grow up with. So there might be tweaks in in the diet just to bring on uh, and include more variety. And when there's a child who might 
not eat a specific food group, for example, because I work with a lot of picky eaters. I work with kids who have typical picky eating between two and six years of age, and I work with kids who have ARFID or that avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. And those are kids that that might be dropping out several food groups. Mm. And one of the one of the things I really emphasize with these families is that the more pressure you lay on a child to eat something that you really want them to eat or that you're invested in that they eat, the less likely it's going to work. Mm. So it, it really is, it's the psychology of eating, as as you probably know mm. very well. But it's it's just like if I were to say to you, Robin, uh, you need to take um, ice cream out of your diet forever, mm-hmm. or you need to never have another glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Um, what your mind is going to go right to that food and you're going to want it. That's a restrictive way to, um, you know, include or disclude foods in our children's diet. And, and some parents will be very motivated to exclude certain foods in the hope that their child will eat healthier, for example. Mm-hmm. That almost never works. Pressure at the table doesn't work. Um, reminding children to have another bite, pushing a child to try new food. Those things um, might work for the child who wants to please their parent, but ultimately in the end, they're not necessarily learning to like that food for what it is itself. Mm. So really interesting and that of course creates the pushback right that the mm-hmm. the kid does want to eat it and then it escalates so how is it that we can do this in a way that isn't going to cause the the food war and the food fights that we we often talk about and we often see how can i get my child to maybe try some new foods or maybe expand on a limited diet if that's sure. what the problem is sure well a lot of it is in the way that you feed your child so oftentimes parents in america think it's all about the food and if i just add carrots to the meal and I keep adding carrots to the meal every time, my child will eventually like those carrots. Well, Mm. that is in part true. We know there's a lot of research about exposure Mm. therapy, which basically uh, exposes a child to a food that they don't like repeatedly in a non-pressure-filled way. Um, And that can in and of itself help the child try that food and, and grow to like it. But when, children, when parents are feeding their children at the table, I think one of the things we need to make sure we're doing is remove all emotions and investment in eating that we have, which is really, really hard for parents to do because um, if you have a picky eater and you know they're not eating well and, oh, on they might also not be thriving, they might not be gaining weight and growing well, that is a, an enormous burden to live with every day as a parent, and you want to fix it. Um, so I think I think parents, if they can separate themselves emotionally from whether their child eats or not, that's very helpful. And if they can see their um, their job as a parent to feed their child a healthy, you know, a a variety of different foods. I don't want to use the the word healthy so much as I want to say a variety of different foods. Um, If they can see that as their job and do that every day in a structured way. So when I say structure, I mean, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner at certain times during the day, snacks at certain times so that there are spaces in between eating sessions where a child can build their appetite. 
Um, but if they can stay on that structure and just do the job of, of, you know, hitting a home run with making a meal and a meal does not necessarily have to be all that balance of food groups. It is ideal that it is that, but if you have a child that's not eating certain food groups, it may not look that way, but even to just make a meal look like a meal. So the family sits at a table, the food is on a plate, the child is, is at the table for a bit of time, um, does not necessarily have to eat while he's there, but he has to join the family. Mm-hmm. And that's a really powerful statement. Mm-hmm. If you have a picky, eight, uh, a picky eater for your listeners out there, that works really well, I have found. And that is if you have a child that's at the table who refuses to eat what you want them to eat, you just say, well, you don't have to eat. You don't have to eat but you do need to sit here with us while we eat because this is our time to gather as a family. That's a very powerful Mm. statement for a child who is a picky eater because oftentimes picky eaters will come to the table and they already feel the pressure without anybody saying anything. It's already just historically been a pressure-filled environment for them. And they come to the table and they're on their defense. You know, they're, they're already defensive about just being at the table for dinner. And if your child refuses and you say, well, that's fine. You don't have to eat, but you do need to sit here with us until we're done with dinner. That takes a lot of pressure off the child. It's really interesting. I'm, I'm wondering, and I've seen uh, friends' families where, you know, the child is at the dinner table with the family. There's a meal that's being served and that child is then demanding something else to eat. They want to eat cereal or they want to eat you know, something that may not be as healthy as what's being presented. And the parents are obviously upset about this because perhaps the mom or the dad just made this nice meal and they'd like everybody to eat it. So in that circumstance, when the child is sitting there and is hungry and is requesting something else, what do you do? That's a great question. That's what is called in the literature catering to your child. And i fondly refer to it as the short order cook syndrome. Yes. And I do have a post on my blog that takes you through step by step how to overcome that short order cook syndrome. But for your listeners, if you are somebody who's making a backup meal or a plan B meal for your picky child, it's important to know that when you do that, you're really sort of short circuiting your child's ability to explore new foods. Because what the research tells us is that Children who are catered to are less likely to try new foods, and they are um, more likely to have a nutritionally deficient diet um, because they are just eating the same foods every day, and um, they're less likely to branch out So, and may even become more picky with that tactic. So I, I really dissuade parents from doing the short order cook uh, approach. What I like to see families do is make a meal for the whole family, consider your picky eater's preferences, but also consider your entire family's preferences, come up with a meal uh, that can satisfy everyone, always include uh, what I call one or two safe foods on the table for that picky eater. So a safe food is familiar, recognized, and liked. Always include that on the table uh, so that your child can come to the table and see one or two things on that table that they will be happy to eat um, because that that increases their comfort level, number one, and um, makes them feel more comfortable. So 
But at the same time, having those other foods that your child doesn't like on the table exposes your child to different foods. And I also like for families to do family-style feeding where where you place all those foods in the center of a table and everybody has to pass their bowls and plates around and serve themselves. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, that picky eater has to handle a bowl, has to handle a plate, may not take the food, but is getting it nice and close to their face, can smell it, can see it. And that in and of itself is a form of of exposure. So, yeah, and I'm sorry, just to circle back to what should a parent do if if um, their child refuses to eat what they have on the table, then then this is where that structure is so helpful because if you're feeding a toddler, you're feeding them six times a day most likely. Mm-hmm. And those are opportunities to eat. They are not have to times to eat. And I think parents mm. oftentimes get that confused. Those are just opportunities. And so if one meal does not go well, there's another meal or another snack where you can make up the difference and be strategic about what you're offering and uh, your child then can learn from the fact that they left dinner without anything to eat. They can learn that they have to wait a couple hours for their bedtime snack. And then they learn, you know, that that natural consequence, that feedback that, oh, I'm a little bit more hungry than I need to be or should be. And then the parent reinforces with, um, I'm really sorry that you chose not to eat at dinner. Mm-hmm. We'll have a snack before bedtime. You can fill your belly then. Maybe next time we'll think, we'll rethink about whether we're eating at dinner or not. Mm-hmm. So it's it's letting the natural consequences play out. And what is honestly hardest for the parent is holding the line and letting the child not eat. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of parents have a hard time doing that. But in many years of working, I've seen it work over and over again where um, you're sensitive to the child's preferences, you honor their decision, you help them be aware of the decision that they're making, but if they decide not to eat, that's fine. They have full right over their body to choose to eat or not eat. It's really, from a parenting standpoint, we shouldn't be forcing our children to eat. We shouldn't be um, making them eat. It ends up not being... Uh, a positive experience on a lot of levels for those kids. I see what you're saying. I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here since nutrition's not, you know, that's not what I do. I mean, I do body image and I do some other things related to this, but um, I have my child who is six years old and what I've been doing for him, he's not a, a picky eater, but a plainer eater. So if I make something like chicken Parmesan, I just leave the sauce off for him Mm -hmm. or if I, you know, or any multitude of dishes, he's just a plainer eater. So I don't make a different, I wouldn't say I make a different meal. I just leave the sauce off for him. Is, Mm -hmm. am I catering to him? Am I doing something wrong there? Or is that an okay strategy? That's an okay strategy. I call that deconstructing a meal. So a lot of kids like plain foods Mm -hmm. Um, and even my own, my youngest, I was just talking about this the other day. My youngest, who is now 15, I don't think he ate lasagna till he was 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. A lot of children, it can take a long time for them to eat what I call combination foods mm-hmm. with multiple food groups in one dish. Think casseroles, lasagna, mm-hmm. chicken parm. Right. Uh, so you can de- deconstruct that. So serve the chicken plain. Have the plate with 
the the mozzarella cheese on it. Have a diff- a bowl with the um, tomato yeah. sauce and let your child build their own combination. Right. Okay, good. I'm I'm glad. I just sitting here listening to you going, "Uh-oh. <laughs> Maybe I should ask about that." Um, yes, I don't I don't certainly don't want to be catering. And he he actually has been trying a lot of foods. I don't understand him so much because he'll eat the, you know, he'll eat the chicken meatballs and and he'll eat the lasagna, but he won't, you know, certain things he wants it plain. So, mm-hmm. you know, I just I just go with it, but I want to make sure that he's getting his food groups in as much as possible if possible. So I'm wondering, you know, that child who hasn't eaten dinner and now he's, uh, he or she is maybe having a snack before bed. Is that a time when you're going to present the same dinner meal again? Or is that the time when he can eat or she can eat whatever she wants, even if it's maybe more carbs, which maybe he or she has been eating all day? Right. So I'm not a proponent of refeeding what you served at mealtime mm-hmm. later on. It feels a little bit, I think, like a punishment mm-hmm. to a lot of children. So I'm not a proponent of that. But I'm also not a proponent of having the child tell you what they want to eat for their snack. I I don't think parents should be saying, hey, what do you want to eat? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I hear that happening all the time. No, I coach my parents when I work with them, you are in charge of the food. Your child is going to follow along and follow suit, but you make the food decisions. You are the, what we call the nutritional gatekeeper. So at snack time, that bedtime snack that we're talking about, I might encourage the family to uh, give two choices. You can have a bowl of cereal with milk, or you can have a slice of toast with peanut butter on it. So you're going to pick two nutritious choices mm-hmm. uh, from for your child to choose from. And if your child hasn't had any dinner, he's elected not to eat dinner, you want to make that snack before he goes to bed a little beefier and a little bit and with nutrition in mind. It shouldn't be a bowl of ice cream. It shouldn't be, you know, uh, a package of goldfish crackers. Mm-hmm. It should be something nutritious and sustainable. And I always remind parents that, Sleep time is when your child is growing. That's when the growth hormones are secreted. They're flowing high in the body. That's when your child's growing. And that's when you really do want to have good nutrition on board because there's no activity to burn off the calories that are they're coming in at that evening hour. So strategically, um, and again, I really do like my families and, and I profess this all the time. I like strategy. I want you strategically thinking about the foods that you're offering and how you're offering them. I want you to be mindful and to be thinking it through because I think so often we're just like, well, what's in the pantry? Oh, here, I'll just grab these crackers. And we're, we're moving so fast. We're not thinking through our choices and how our choices really do impact how well our child eats. This is great information. So if I, I know that it, sound, it, it sounds like we are getting uh, often get tripped up when talking about food. So where would you say we go wrong and what is the danger of maybe taking it to some of these extremes that you've mentioned? Sure. So I think that parents get tripped up when talking about food in three main areas. So area number one is that it's not age appropriate. Mm. So if you have a toddler, there's a certain way you're going to talk about food with a toddler. And it's really characteristic based. 
oh, did you notice that the apples are red? Did you notice that the cr- uh, the crackers are crunchy? Or so you're doing more like characteristics of food. Mm-hmm. As children get into preschool, you're doing more comparison conversations. What other fruit do you see is red? What other vegetable do you know is crunchy? So you're making associations, but you're really just talking about food in a very basic educational um, format. And the same, it's not even, I always laugh with my clients because so many adults have confusion about nutrition and conflicting ideas and thoughts and and they don't have it down pat, yet we want to turn and load our children with all of this, you know, education about (laughs) health consequences and chemistry of food. and, And so keeping it simple and letting the child lead with their questions when you're educating them about nutrition, I think is a really um, big thing. But number one is age inappropriateness. I think we get caught up in, you know, putting too much technical information to our very young children and uh, where we should be really just talking about the characteristics mm. of food. And as our children get older, we can start talking more about the food qualities, the nutrients, what it does in our body, you know, calcium in our bones, things of that nature. Got it. I also think that um, we want to talk about food as we we tend to talk about food as um, something that improves our health or takes away from our health, and we don't talk enough about the enjoyment of food. And I'd I'd like to see parents talking more about how food makes you feel, how it makes you feel full, um, how how it's satisfying, how it's associated with. Uh, social events and this, that, and the other. There's a lot of enjoyment about food that I think that we need to bring back into the conversation when we talk about nutrition. Mm -hmm. The second area is that we tend to be black or white when we talk about food. And that is, it's either really good for us or it's really bad for us. And unfortunately, we get into words like it's clean or it's toxic. Mm -hmm. And the bottom line is we all need to eat food. Uh, We need it. Our children need food to grow, to thrive. Uh, They need it early on, especially for their brain development. They need it later on, especially for their growth spurt. So when we talk about food in these black and white extremes, it really can set up this controversy within a child. You know, if you tell a child that ice cream is so bad for them and they're sitting there going well it's absolutely delicious (laughs) it is how could it be bad for me so that we set this dichotomy up in their head and it it becomes very difficult for them and because of their cognitive development uh, kids until they're in their teen years they tend to be black and white thinkers I mean as they hit the teenage years they move out of the black and white thinking and can think more abstractly but Children in in schools, and particularly in grade school, they're concrete black and white think- thinkers. That's right. So yes. If they say something is bad, they believe it, mm-hmm. and they don't have the bandwidth or the cognitive abilities to be able to really tease out what you're trying to say to them. Right. Right. So, I think that's in a, a second area, and then thirdly, I think where we get tripped up as parents is that we let our own motivations about how we want our children to eat to cloud our judgment. And we touched on this a little bit earlier, but if we put a lot of fear in around food, 
oh, you're going to have heart disease if you eat that, or oh, you're going to become obese oh, gosh. if you eat that. Um, I'm that, sure everybody is just hiding under the desk right now because well, I, I, we've all done this. I, I'm sure. Absolutely. And you mentioned earlier, you know, we all make our mistakes. Yes. And this is hopefully a, an episode where people will start to really think a little bit more about how they're talking about food and nutrition. But if we're if we're motivated to, you know, have our child eat healthy, it can be a dangerous area because that in turn can make us speak about food in ways that can um, grow fear. It can um, actually change our children's preferences about food. If we're, if we're using rewards and we're talking about, hey, you can have a lollipop if you just eat the broccoli, we're shifting food preferences when we do that potentially in our children. And of course, if we're... Um, I had this come up with with a uh, somebody I know most recently where they have a a baby, an 18 month old, and and the 18 month old is only eating fruit, and they want that 18 month old to eat more vegetables, so they're pulling away fruit mm-hmm. to encourage the baby to eat more vegetables, and it's. When we're doing things like that, and obviously there's probably some conversation going on with that as well, but when we're doing things like that, we actually are changing the way our children think and feel and how they relate to food. And ultimately, our goal is to grow children who have a healthy relationship with food. So we need to think about how how we talk about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I, there's, there's clearly a, a danger in talking about food in extremes. Um, So I know one of the the things that we talk about in my world is is body image and weight, and there's so much talk about food and weight, body size and shape. So how does a discussion of body image get incorporated with what you do? And how, how can we talk about food and healthy eating without turning our child off or worse, contributing to this unhealthy relationship with food, where they, where they don't want to eat it, or they're eating, they're 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 gorging themselves. To I, I'm just trying to understand how we can have these conversations in your world in nutrition without making it so hard to just enjoy the food. Right. Well, I think it's it's not easy, and I think you know. <laughs> I encourage parents to be very neutral about food, um, meaning not overly positive, not overly negative, just we all have to eat. And that attitude of, well, we all have to eat. Food is the fuel that makes our bodies grow and go. And it is what it is. I mean, it does matter what we put into our bodies, obviously, but it's not so terribly important in the minutiae of our day to day. I think we have to have sort of a vision of where we're going with our children. I think that's step one. What what kind of child do you want to raise in terms of, of um, how they think and, and act around food and believe about food? Do you want them open-minded or do you want them closed-minded? Mm-hmm. Do you want them to be elitist about food or do you want them to recognize that food is something that's very different and personal for every human being on the planet and it's socioeconomically based? There's a lot of issues around food. Um, do you want, I mean, I, th- I, I think every parent wants their child to grow up healthy mm-hmm. and they to eat healthy. And uh, the way we get there is vastly different amongst families. 
one of the things I remind our, the parents that I, I interact with is that you've got 18 years. So, like, chill out about mm-hmm. it and relax. Enjoy the day-to-day. Try to make good, nutritious, you know, balanced meals. But more importantly, be positive about food. Be neutral when your child isn't eating the way that you want them to. Just keep trying to show um, an example of what it means to eat a healthy, balanced meal, what it means to be active every day in your life, what it means to get a good night's sleep, just all those little ingredients that all add up into a healthy individual. We are all establishing that root system in our children so that they can grow into being that healthy adult we want them to be. And yes, there will be bumps along the road, ups and downs, but I think how we handle that If we have a vision of where we're going, we have that long-term perspective, the big picture in mind, that really helps us uh, neutralize any of those sort of loaded conversations. Um, And remember, children always, and you know this, Robin, children always look to their parents as their number one role model Mm -hmm. on on, uh, everything that's, you know, everything they're considering in their lives, and, and including their health. Right. Absolutely. So if we believe that a child has an unhealthy relationship with food, whether they, we feel like they're eating the wrong things or, or that they, in your example, only eating fruit, you know, mm-hmm. what, what was, what is it that you do when you feel that your child has this unrelated, unhealthy relationship with food, but you don't want to make it such an issue to cause a problem? Right. That's a great question. I think it all goes back to parenting, food parenting, your feeding style, your feeding practices that you're using day in and day out, and just making sure that you are well-versed in how to be authoritative with feeding, meaning um, how to set up that system, that feeding structure that is Uh, so effective in helping children learn about food but regulate their eating and have a good relationship with food. I mean, there's some infrastructure that parents need to have in place. And um, unfortunately, you know, in our country, we don't do a whole lot of, of, uh, we don't do parents justice by sending them out into parenthood without any nutrition education for Mm -hmm. children. and so lot, a lot of parents are sort of playing the shuck and jive mode. They're looking for information when they hit a crisis. And sometimes, um, or what I wish, uh, what I wish was the reality was that every parent got some form of education the minute they found out they were having a baby, just mm-hmm. like them through Lamaze class for, you know, six weeks and all to teach them how to have a baby in 24 hours. I wish we had some sort of preparatory educational system for parents so they could analyze their feeding style, Mm -hmm. look at what an effective feeding practices are, look at the mistakes that can be made and anticipate those and know how to react to those. Get the basics on how to make a balanced meal. A lot of parents ask me, how do you even make a balanced Mm -hmm. meal? So all of that infrastructure, parents don't have a lot of them. And even if you have them, here's a story for you, even if you have them like I do, 
you still make mistakes. My first child was iron deficient at 18 months and uh, growing very low on the growth curve in the first year to two years of her life. And a lot of that was related to focusing too much on feeding and not enough on the food part. Mm -hmm. So it all goes together. And um, so I'm not sure if I've answered your question or if I've gone off on a tangent here, which I sometimes do. Uh (laughs) All the information is so good, though. I mean, it's I I think that you know, the question becomes like, if you're in the situation where you feel like, all right, I'm listening to this podcast, I would like to expand my child's diet. I'd like to. So now it's time for me, from what I'm hearing, to offer some different foods, to model some different ways of eating and and enjoyment of eating and make sure that that table is enjoying, you know, it feels like fun and Mm -hmm. low stress and that I'm eating the foods that I want my child to eat as well so that they can see I you know even though I might be just eating this because I don't particularly care for all those other foods that it's important for me to Mm -hmm. be eating these other foods so that's that's sort of what I'm hearing that if your child is is not eating in a way that you feel is healthy there are some there are some things that you can do Right. And and look to yourself as the parent to be the change agent. Uh, I see so many parents who will tell me, just teach my child how to eat healthy. They'll come and they'll say, "Can I just want you to teach her what to do. Mm-hmm. And I can do that. But she, you know, any child needs her parents' fortitude, knowledge, confidence uh, in that area first. Right, right. Okay. So then what about for a child, and we, many of us have child athletes, you know, they do all kinds of, you know, activities all day. I mean, our, many kids are overscheduled, but those kids who are maybe committed to a particular sport or activity and they need maybe to eat a little differently than they've been eating. So your mm-hmm. child's in front of you at that point, and maybe they've been not feeling so energetic at, you know, doing their sport. What is it that you say or do for that child athlete to make sure that they're getting what they need? Well, I talk a lot about the role of food as their fuel. And uh, just like a car, you know, you can have a minivan or you can have a race car. If you're an athlete, you're a race car. And so you're taking premium fuel and you need to fill up. Just like if you watch the Indy 500, you have to have a pit stop and you have to fill up and fuel up your body to keep going. So I think from a parenting standpoint, you know, you want to have those three meals and those two snacks, you know, well programmed into the day, substantial, fulfilling, nutritious. Uh, You want to have that plugged into play. And you want to talk to your child about the reason why you know, we have breakfast, start the day off right, get the engine, mo- get the engine started up, get it going, uh, because it's been on idle all night long. So we want to do that, but it also fuels the brain. So we often, I think, forget that, you know, when you're playing a sport, you're making decisions, you're making very quick decisions, and your brain needs to be fueled as well. So not just the body. Uh, but going through those different meals and the snack, you know, when your athlete wants to eat, chips for a snack that's not good fuel for your body Mm -hmm. so reassuring the child that yes they can have chips at certain points um, 
and that you would be happy to sit down and work out when that makes sense. And that always makes sense when you're not in competition and you're not on your training diet, if you're a, a really serious athlete. Um, mapping that out in the week, that builds reassurance. The child doesn't feel deprived. Um, and you've got a plan for including it. But while you're training and your child's competing, you really do want to uh, bolster up that nutritious diet because it is their fuel for performance. Right. So in that case, do you do you encourage athletes to take things with them? And if so, what kinds of things would they take with them on the road or on the go so that they can be snacking maybe before a game or before some other activity that they're doing? Yeah, I, I do encourage that. Um, I like athletes to use the combination of carbohydrate and protein together. Mm -hmm. So that could be, you know, cheese and crackers. It could be milk and cereal. It could be fruit and yogurt. Um, so it could be nuts and dried fruit for that combination. I actually have a list of 70 healthy sports snacks Perfect. on my website for a free download um, that that your listeners can grab. But yeah, there it's always a carb protein combination or it might be a carbohydrate and fat combination. So like um, sourdough toast with avocado on top or something like that. But it, it might be a bar too, mm -hmm. a granola bar or a protein bar. It really depends on the athlete, what they're doing, what they like. Because remember, we can say sourdough toast with avocado, but, but you might have an athlete that would never eat that. So right. Sounds it, good to me though. Yeah, so that doesn't sound great. But the truth is it's, you know, it's not nutrition unless it's eaten. So we can be great with all the nutrition that we offer, but we do need to be mindful and sensitive of, you know, what makes sense for our children. Oh, wow. So those, that's so good to have that tangible list. And I encourage everybody to go to that. And that's not just for an athlete, I would imagine. I mean, those kinds of snacks sound great for anybody on the go. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. Right. Yeah, and I have I have snack <laughs> I have snack lists for regular kids, for toddlers, for you know I have snacks are a big topic. So yes, my, my they thing, are. Yeah, they are. My my big thing with snacks are you know you they need to hold your child over for the next two to three hours for, before the next meal because you don't want your child snacking every hour on the hour. You want to be in that structure that we talked about earlier. So having nutritious snacks. Um, you know, really help quite a bit. Right. Imagine that just eating the pretzels then or just eating the chips, that's when you kind of see the child getting hungrier sooner mm -hmm. and it's not holding them over. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So that protein boost is really important because that will help to level out those sugars and make it so they're not so spiky hungry in maybe a half an hour to an hour. Right. Okay. Exactly. Yep. All right. Awesome. So, so this is the time for the top tip, the top tip of the day. If there was nothing else that anyone else got from this fabulous podcast, what would you hope a parent would take away when it comes to nutrition and healthy eating for their kids? I think I would hope that parents recognize that uh, there's no one way of doing it. A sensitivity around what you say about food and nutrition is really what's required. So just pause for a second. Think about your long-term goal, the type of child you're trying to raise, and think about how they're going to be thinking about what you say before you say it. 
Right, those extremes you were talking about, the black and white, the clean or toxic, what we should or should not be eating at all times, that makes a difference to those kids. And they'll take those words verbatim, especially considering younger children and their age, and they think that their parents know everything. Right, exactly. So just pause and think, is this helping my child's relationship with food? Am I growing an adventurous eater by saying this, or am I making my child you know, fearful or elitist or judgmental to others by the conversations that I'm having about food. That, that is such an important question. Is, is this helping my child? How does this serve my child when we're maybe saying something about somebody else's food intake, comparing our children? Oh, this one's eating that. You're not mm-hmm. eating this. I, I, I imagine that would make my child feel uh, really frustrated rather than want to be included in the eating experience. Right, exactly. Yes. So tell us where we can find out more information about you and your book. For the resource of the week, where would you want them to go? Well, I would love them to all come to my website, uh, jillcastle.com. That's where my blog and my podcast are housed. Uh, and all my free materials. I think um, I have a free email course called Nourish Your Child's Healthy Weight. I would love uh, for folks to take that course. It's a series of seven emails that just gives you some step-by-step information on how to nourish a healthy weight in your child from the food system that you set up to the feeding practices that you use to some of those tough conversations that come up um, as you're raising children. It's so important and I would encourage people to do that as well because obviously we need to have these conversations with our kids and tell them, you know, it's, it is important that we fuel our bodies, as you were saying, and we are like a race car. We've got to fuel up if we're going to perform in the way that we want and feel good throughout the day. So I, I think that's great. I love that you're providing that. That's a great free email, guys. Let's do that. So thank you so much for joining us today. You've provided such really important information about a topic that can cause parents stress and yet it's something we have to deal with every day, eating. You know, it's it's happening every day. This is not a a once in a while thing (laughs) that comes up. We've got to do it every day. And I really like what you said about that, you know, being the race car and fueling your body and, and asking our children or asking ourselves, you know, is what I'm saying supporting my child and having a healthy relationship with food or or not. So thank you so much for coming to the show. Oh, you're welcome. My pleasure. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know that you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. Let's go to facebook.com slash Dr. Robin Silverman, or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash Dr. Robin. And if you love this podcast like I did, and of course, Jill Castle provided so many incredible things, incredible tips and takeaways, would you kindly go up to iTunes and rate it so that others will learn about Jill Castle's tips and takeaways and learn about these outstanding solutions, use them in their homes. I really appreciate 
That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even when it seems like nothing is going right, and we all have those days, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. Whether you're talking about a picky eater or an athlete, we've got it all. So on the days that we fall short. We know we all have them. Never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I get it. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet, sweet sanity, please know that you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.